Hey everybody, welcome to this week's roundup. Just another reminder, I listed some more stuff up on eBay and I'll probably continue to for the next month or so just as I'm clearing out some extra stuff. I do have a question I'd love to ask you though. Why hasn't that Western Digital hard drive sold? It's cheaper than everywhere else. Am I doing something wrong? I'm so sorry to use this as like a personal platform to ask questions, but I'm just kind of dumbfounded. I figured that would be a perfect drive for a lot of people at that price, but I never want to overcharge. I never want to sell the wrong thing. So if anybody could help me out and let me know why that hasn't sold, uh, you know, maybe it's just better if I keep it as a spare or something like that. I only bought it for when I was doing 4K60 lossless testing. But yeah, anyway, I'll stop wasting your time. Let's jump into it. Starting us out, just a quick update on last week's Eon Xbox adapter thing. Epos Vox tested it, and it looks like my gut was correct. It was not a brightness issue. It was a color space issue. The HDMI ports are telling the target device that it's a limited range device, but it's actually sending the full range of colors. So anybody who hooked it up to almost every display and capture card is going to get that issue. If your display was previously set manually to full range, or if you go in and set it to that, you're not going to have the brightness issue anymore, but without the brightness issue, it really highlights the analog interference, meaning this still is a very cheap, not good quality adapter at all. Um, and it's also one of those things where, yes, you can probably change most capture cards and TVs manually to the right color space, except in very many panels, it's buried. And it's, uh, I don't think some computer monitors even really have that. And if it is, it's another very deep buried setting. So it's, Everything I said last week, I 100% stand by. This is a $200 adapter that performs like absolute garbage. It probably, it either wasn't tested properly or the prototype was tested and the productions weren't tested, but there's no way anybody actually did QA on these things without figuring out the color space issues at all. Um, I do, on a personal note, want to say that Epos Fox has a slightly different perspective on it and kind of had more of a positive look, and that is completely okay. It seems like we live in a world where it is illegal to disagree with somebody, but I have always refused to conform to that. Epos is still totally freaking awesome. <laughs> the only thing this changes between us is that we don't 100% agree on this one issue. But I do think that it is much more severe than he does because I think it's a direct slap in the face to everybody who buys this. Very low cost, incredibly high margin prices for something that wasn't even properly tested. And once again, Eon's response should tell you all all that you need to know. Making a joke about the box rather than even saying, hey, did you check the color space? I'd bet one of my BVMs it's because they didn't even know the color space was the issue. So uh, you could obviously make your own opinions about all of this, but I'm standing by everything I said last week 100%. I think you should return it, cancel your orders, and I don't think anybody should buy this thing at all because even if you got it at a discount, you're still spending a lot of money on something that just doesn't perform nearly as well as getting alternatives for the same or less price. Next up, Sega Saturn have just opened pre-orders on a pro edition of their wireless Saturn controller. This one comes with extra trigger buttons, as well as two Hall Effect analog sticks in the middle, as well as two receivers, one for the original Saturn, and the other is a USB receiver. So you could use it on your original Saturn, and if you press the button on the receiver, you could switch it into 3D control stick mode, meaning the analog sticks would work the same as the original Saturn 3D controller. And then, of course, if you use USB, it could be compatible with Mr. Raspberry Pi, PC, whatever else you got. Uh, I believe with the Switch 
as well, the Nintendo Switch. So overall, the price is 50. Uh, it's due to ship in December, and it comes in two colors, white and black. And I have links here to both US and UK sellers if you want to pre-order through them. And it looks great. Uh, the only hesitation I always have with any wireless controller is where are the latency numbers? And I think I'm just going to reach out directly to Ron from Retrobit and offer to buy a latency test kit and see if that's what it would take to get them to publish these numbers. I'm pretty positive 8BitDo is not going to return my email, but maybe Retrobit might. And, uh, you know, maybe we could help uh, help get the parts together or something to do that. So it's not all on my shoulders. But I just think this is something that, you know, Retrobit's got some great controllers. So it's my very strong opinion that they would want to brag about some of the numbers of their controllers. This isn't, I'm calling you out for your bad. No, this is a positive thing. This is good. This is happy stuff. So hopefully I could reach out and see if that's something that, uh, that they would be interested in. But that's the number one thing that I'm worried about. And also some controllers always have weird D-pad issues. And I never understood why why that happens. Um, why did in the 80s and 90s, you, know, you don't really remember D-pad issues on OEM controllers, but how can we have them now? I wonder what that's all about, but uh, I'd like to see how this performs, how it feels, and of course the latency. So I guess we'll uh, we'll follow up once they're actually released. They're due to arrive by, before the end of this year, so probably in December. And it looks awesome. I think it's a really great option, especially for people that are looking for a wireless Saturn controller that also has uh, the analog stick options as well. So uh, the only other thing to add is the, just like I always say, if you hear Hall Effect, that doesn't necessarily mean it's better than original analog sticks. It's just a different way to do it. How well it's implemented is what makes the difference. So that's not a shot at Retrobit. That's just a generalization for any time you buy a controller about that. Uh, the only last thing on a personal note, this came in, this post came out, after I had finished recording the podcast last week, but before it had gone live. And since this was a pre-order that wasn't going to sell out, that it was going to be open for a while, I didn't feel the need to just drop what I was doing and re-record everything. So uh, if it was something where it's like pre-orders are only open for two days, I would have done that. So uh, hopefully people don't get too annoyed with that stuff. But as always, you could always set up an RSS feed to read the website. Um, you could just check the website manually if you wanted to. And uh, so let me know what you think. You know, is this something that's should I drop everything and make sure to include this for stuff like this or did I do the right thing in that if you weren't paying attention to the site and you're just listening to the podcast having it a week later is going to make no difference when you receive this so do I just keep doing what I'm doing as always your feedback's important to me so thank you Pre-orders are now open for a vinyl version of a few different Super Bomberman soundtracks all in one collection. They're calling it the best of Super Bomberman on vinyl. And while different versions of Bomberman had been done on vinyl before, this is, I believe, the first one that's the Super Nintendo version focused and a bunch of them in there. Multiple different uh, soundtracks from different games are all combined into this. And this was all worked on by Jeff Roberts, who I had interviewed a while back to talk about how stuff like this is done. And Jeff is one of the people that just bends over backwards to make sure you're getting the best possible translation of the original soundtrack 
to vinyl. So if you're into the Bomberman soundtracks and this is something that you wanted to either collect or just listen to the newer clean rips, I would definitely look into this. Um, the price is about $40 and it's supposed to ship in the first quarter of 2024, so a couple of months from now. And there's US, UK, and EU stores that are all selling it. So check out Crystal's post for more details. But if you're a huge fan of the Bomberman soundtracks for Super Nintendo, at the very least, it's worth checking the post out. Last week, a video was posted of the PlayStation-exclusive game Metal Gear running on a Sega Saturn emulator. The developer Frogbull posted the video and kind of showed it as a proof of concept just to see what would be done. And I guess there was some skepticism in the Saturn community because Frogbull didn't want to post an ISO of the game for people to try. Um, but, you know, with stuff like this, right, Frogbull I don't think is charging for any of this stuff. The video is free to watch if you want to, so if it's a prank, then... Can't understand why anybody would want to waste their time doing something like that, but whatever, at least you didn't lose any money. But on the flip side, if it's not a prank, I completely agree with Frogbull's perspective of not posting the ISO because they don't want somebody to just make a really nice, fancy Saturn box and manual and then, you know, print out a disc with this beta on there with a really nice label because then everybody ends up getting hurt. Whoever buys this on eBay gets scammed and then it makes Frogbull look bad because you're getting something that was never meant to be distributed to the public. It was just, hey, here's a demo to show you something I whipped up. So uh, if that's the case, if this isn't some silly prank, then I 100% support the the option to, or the, the decision to not put that out there until it's at least more playable and ready to go. But I'm not sure if this is going to go much farther. I'm not sure if Frogbull just wanted to do this as a, hey, let me see if I could do it. Maybe it is a prank where they just, uh, you know, change some fonts around and have it running somewhere else. I, I don't really know. But if you're a fan of the Saturn or Metal Gear, definitely check out Pat's post, read through and check all of this stuff out. But uh, as always, I'm always I just I'm always fascinated about ports of stuff like this and how much effort it takes to do something like this. So assuming that it's real, hats off to you, Frogbull, and uh, you know I'd love to see some other work like this as well. Kevin Malat has just opened pre-orders on the sixth batch of HyperFlash 32 e-ink ROM carts for the Virtual Boy, and this is pretty cool because. A just over a year ago, Kevin thought that there would be no chance of making these anymore because of the part shortage, and it was thought that batch five might have been the last batch ever. Actually, the first it was thought, well, the, whoever bought the last batch four, that's it, and then when Kevin was able to whip up parts to make the last batch, it was kind of up in the air, and it looks like a little more part, or a few more parts were found to make another, so... If you're a fan of the Virtual Boy, you want to use original hardware and you want to have an awesome ROM cart to play all of the games and the amazing homebrew that's been coming out, which I would argue is better than almost all of the retail library, this is definitely something you should check out. I did a video on it a while back. <clears throat> Everything about that video is still up to date, except there are now a couple of versions available. You could choose from a black or white case, as well as either just a black and white e-ink screen or a black, white, red e-ink screen, which if I bought that today, that's definitely the one I would get. I would buy the black case with the ready, uh, the, you know, the black, white, red e-ink screen. I think that's very cool. Uh, but check out the video I did about it. And also, if you're interested in the accessories and the homebrew that's available, check out the live stream I did. And don't let the time of that live stream uh, turn you off from that. It's not a two and a half hour video. It's 20 minutes of a really good talk discussing the different accessories available for the virtual boy and then gameplay footage afterwards. So it's really like a 20 minute video. If I was smart, I would probably just edit that out 
make some voice new voiceover parts and make that a standalone video. But I just don't have time for that stuff. So who knows? Hey, if you're a, an up and coming videographer, you know, maybe you could uh, work with me to do stuff like that on some of these videos. But either way, check out the link if you want to pre-order yours. Um, and more details are in the post. And of course, check out that video if you really want to see this thing in action. Mike Chi is now selling an upgraded remote control for the RetroTINK 5X. And I got to start out by saying you don't need it. If your current situation's working fine, the original remote is still totally usable. All future firmware updates will support the original remote. This isn't some weird trick to get you to buy a new remote. Uh, so I just want to draw that line immediately and say this is for people who want an upgraded remote. You don't need it. But it's pretty cool. I never loved the original remote. It wasn't the worst I've ever used. Um, but this one is just very cool. And it's got direct link buttons. So one of the first ones on here that I'm, I'm looking at is you could just press a button to go to 1080p over mode, which is my favorite. It's the one that I always use, 5X. So having shortcuts to do this stuff, shortcuts to which input you want to go to. So if you want to go direct to RGB, component video, whatever else, it's really cool to just have this as usable as it is. And also it seems to work a little bit better. I definitely had to make sure the original 5X remote was always angled properly at the Tink. And this one seems to be a lot more forgiving. So it's my opinion that if you have a fully automated setup, you leave your Tink 5X in generic mode, which is awesome. I know so many people who do it that way. Uh, and you basically just power on your setup, turn on your console, maybe you got a G-SCART or something, and you have everything set to automatically go and you never actually use the remote. With all respect to Mike, don't buy it because you don't need it. Uh, but if you're like me and you're constantly tinkering and changing options and changing inputs and everything else, 30 bucks to upgrade to this seems to be a more than fair deal. So leave it up to you if this is something that you want. But also, uh, a remote like this is going to be coming with the Tink 4K. I have it sitting right next to me for anybody watching on video. It's the same physical remote with a different overlay and slightly different programming, I think. Um, so that is good. At least you know that when you're going to be getting the newer Tink, uh, it's going to go right with or come right with that better upgraded remote control. And I think a lot of those direct features might be a little bit more... I don't want to say required, but I, I will say that I'm just I'm really happy that Mike's including this with the Tink 4K and not the other remote because the other remote's fine, but this remote's actually very good. I recently posted an interview with Dan Larson, who is half of the team behind Secret Galaxy, the YouTube channel that does documentaries of 80s and 90s pop culture stuff, and they're all very good and really detailed, and I always enjoyed them, but I think I enjoy them even more after talking to Dan and hearing the deep dive that they go into for research and all the work that goes into it, because obviously as somebody who does, you know, YouTube content videos and stuff, I know how much work goes into just making the videos, but I have so much respect for people who actually go out and do their own research rather than people that just watch a bunch of other videos, write a script based on that, and have 90% watermarked content of other channels in their videos. I'm not throwing shade at any one person, but I think anybody that's ever surfed around YouTube before has seen that and gone, ugh, gross. Whereas Dan uh, is the opposite. Secret Galaxy does their own research. They have their own spin on all the topics. And Dan even mentioned a couple of times that they were planning on, you know, adding a joke or a funny little bit that they then realized other people had done. So they'd like to be original and stand out. So honestly, I, I, I'll say it again. I liked that channel so much before I did the interview, and I just like it even more now. Uh, hopefully, you'll be into this stuff. Um, I, I wrote something very cheesy in the description, but I actually meant it. So hopefully, you won't roll your eyes.
guys too hard, but I said their videos are pop culture documentaries, many of which draw you in with their nostalgia factor, but keep you watching with their quality. It sounds like some pitch on an infomercial, but I, I think that's really the best way to describe Secret Galaxy if you haven't seen it yet. And please give the interview a chance because Dan just had a lot of very cool kind of insight and behind the scenes to the channel. And uh, I also will give the same advice that I gave in the interview. If you don't know the channel or if you've maybe only seen one or two videos, uh, go to the channel, go to videos, and then just kind of scroll through or search for any old topics or things that interested you. I believe one of the first, I think the video that made me subscribe was the Knight Rider video, which let me down a rabbit hole of the Airwolf video and everything else. But I'd seen a bunch of their before, but that one was the one where it kind of hooked me in. And I think if anybody else is interested in even remotely interested in this stuff, that's how that, you know, that's your gateway drug, right? You would go in and find the one video about a subject you really care about, and you'd probably end up subscribing to. And, you know, channels, like this i just i really enjoy how you subscribe to them and maybe out of the 50 videos a year they put out you'd only really be super into 10 but that's fine i want channels like this to keep doing what makes them happy keep keep covering a wide variety of different things and every time you see one pop up that you're into you watch and every time you don't respectfully don't or let it play in the background if you want to give them some algorithm views or something like that so hopefully you enjoy the interview i certainly did and i hope to follow up with dan or, or maybe even both of the members of secret galaxy at some other point in the future. Analog just revealed that their next product is going to be a Nintendo 64, an FPGA-based N64 that can go up to 4K, and they're calling it the Analog 3D. Their own announcement was pretty cryptic as usual. It's always an announcement for an announcement for a pre-order for a product. Uh, props where props is due. Their marketing is always brilliant. Chris does a great job with that. However, uh, Chris did an interview with a magazine, and the interviewer, Sam Makovich, did a great job with it all. And if you ever wonder why I praise the analog hardware so much, but always have some kind of joke or dig against the CEO, Chris Tabor, I couldn't think of a better possible example that proves all of my points than this interview. Once again, Sam did a great job, no shade there, but I'm going to be quoting Chris and it's going to be, it's going to have profanity. So earmuffs children, but uh, just remember that these are his words, but let's just break down the very basics first. Uh, first of all, no support for open FPGA on this. Again, when they said no support for it on the duo, I was bummed, but it made sense. That was a product that the design had finished and then the part shortage just killed any chance of manufacturing and now they're swinging back around to it. I think that's, um, that's speculation, but it's not an insult at all. And it's pretty fair based on my manufacturing history and everything that I knew about the part shortage. So while that was a guess, that's my very educated and not at all insulting guess. So I get it. I get why the duo wouldn't have had it but now this is their next built up from scratch product so what does that say for all of the devs that spend a lot of time working on open fpga hey thanks for working on our products but we're just going to abandon it and you did all that work for nothing that was that whole rant i went around went on about how if you're on a de10 yes technically you say you're supporting terrasic but you're you're just using an off-the-shelf product whereas now you're re relying on a company to, to make your work available to other people. So I don't know. I hope this is a very Tabor-esque, like, you know, bad magician, look over here while we do something over here type of thing. Maybe it's going to have, they keep talking about analog OS or something like that. Maybe that's going to be a different way to do all this. I, I don't know, but that just annoyed me 
to no end that all of these devs have spent all this time working on porting over cores to an awesome platform. I really like the analog pocket. If I played on handhelds, that's what I would be using. But it is just kind of crappy to see that just get dismissed again. And next, price. What is the price of this thing? Because I have always defended analog's pricing. You don't have to agree with me. That's totally fine. Uh, but in this interview, Chris said it would be by far the most powerful and expen <coughs> excuse me expensive console they've built. But then he goes on to say that the price will be in the range of all our other systems. So now everything's going up in price. I can't expect them to go back to $170 price point. Um, I would expect $299, 100% guess, by the way. I'm just making that number up. But I still think that's kind of fair because if you think about it, picking up um, something like an HDMI uh, N64 kit with the software unlocked and paying somebody to install it would cost more than this. So just the HDMI mod and the installation would cost more than this product. So I do still think that it, if if it is $299 that, or, or less, that it would be a very good value for your money if you take everything else into consideration. But what if it's like 600 bucks? Why would you ever buy that when you could have other options? So it, no... No answers on price, um, and there. when that was kind of brought up very politely, like what about, you know, the alternatives out there, here is what Chris Tabor said about Mr. and the upcoming Mars project. I'm stoked to see the other developments in the FPGA community, regardless of their high price and pretty radical do-it-yourself nature. So this is the guy that sold a $600 plus beautifully carved piece of wood, I'll give him that, that was a Neo Geo with terribly glued Supergun-esque circuits in there. I mean, if you've ever seen somebody who overcharges for something, that would be it. And while the analog NT was a good product, you still paid for a giant block of aluminum that literally nobody asked for ever. Not only, not to mention the $1,000 gold edition that Chris was trying to sell at one point too. So... I mean, I just, somebody should put a mirror up in front of this guy's face. I know he'll just see Steve Jobs in a turtleneck, but maybe we can get through to him on how asinine and insulting that was. Or maybe that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to get people like me to talk about him. I don't know, but the, you all need to at least understand this is why I get upset with this. Next, their webpage said that it'll have original display modes and reference quality recreations of specific model CRTs and PVMs. So first, what are original display modes? Does that mean it'll output 240p? Will it only do that if you connect to the analog DAC? Is it going to have analog video outputs? That's cryptic and annoying. But as for the reference quality CRT and PVM emulation, here's what Chris said. Um, and I want to once again remind you, I'm quoting. FPGA plus 4K equals 100% control over everything in every detail. Analog 3D performs like a masterful fucking orchestra, a symphony, because, again, everything is designed from scratch, in-house, with complete control over every dynamic. Therefore, every nuance is able to be calibrated to an unprecedented degree. To me, it's either this or buy a fucking original N64 and a CRT. End of story. Did he just blow a huge line of coke before answering that question? Was he just sitting there like nervous, trying to think of something badass and cool to say and just right off a table and just answered it that way? Like what a load of bullshit that is. First of all, software emulations had some pretty darn good CRT masks for a long time. 
And then Mike Chi's uh, Retro Tank 5X stepped up to the plate and did some absolutely incredible recreations. But now the Tink 4K is nearing release, and those CRT emulations are just outstanding. You all saw the comparison, I hope you did, it, uh, that I did with the macro lens of a 1,000 TVL BVM versus what the Tink 4K could do. So while Chris is not wrong saying that you know if you take an FPGA recreation of this stuff, output it to 4K, you can get a way more accurate response to all of or uh, accurate emulation of what a CRT looks like. So that's not wrong, but everything else in there is just, whew. Also, while that was technically an answer, he didn't actually answer anything other than swearing and hyping people up. So yes, accurate CRT emulation is great. And for 2D graphics, I think it's really imperative. And actually, in my opinion, old TV shows and movies too, it's imperative to making it feel like you're having that content the way it was originally designed. 3D graphics could go both ways, though, because, yes, uh, CRT masks do absolutely help the N64. Smoothing and anti-aliasing help far more. So any smoothing filter that could be implemented with or without scanline filters would go a lot farther to make it feel like something that should be played on a flat panel TV. That wasn't mentioned at all. And lastly, uh, they've once again mislabeled the product obviously intentionally as no emulation when they actually mean no software emulation. FPGA is hardware emulation. If you want to argue about that, go anywhere else but my comment section because this is nothing to argue about. It's not an insult. It's not a compliment. It's just what it is, period. Bowl of Cheerios is a bowl of Cheerios. I'm not insulting it by calling it that. That's all it is. And that's that's all that is too. So yeah, this is um, a product that I'm actually very interested in, and I can't wait to see what the team did, and I can't wait to see what actual features it has. But much like every time that I've I've had a correspondence with Chris, I got no real answers out of that interview, nothing but bullshit, and you pretty much can't count on anything that was said because there wasn't even a real answer in there. However, Sam did... Uh, kind of point them, uh, pin them down and get some bullet pointed answers. I did not copy and paste those into my post because I'm not a dirty thief that steals other people's work. Uh, but there are a couple of interesting points that I'll read out. Please go to pastemagazine.com and check out Sam's interview. Also, check it out just to prove that I'm not exaggerating. These are real quotes that came from this, but um, <clears throat> anything that connects to the N64 via the cartridge expansion slot will also work, just kind of like all the other analog products. They work like original products. Um, if you need to save with a cartridge pack but don't have one, it'll have save states, so that's kind of neat. Um, I don't know if it'll have save pack emulation, but save states are pretty cool. The 64 disk drive won't natively connect to it, but uh, Tabor suggested that community-developed connection options will work. So I, who knows what that even means? Um, a bunch of gamepad options, so four controller N64 controller ports in the front and uh, two USB-A type ports, as well as Bluetooth or 2.4 gig wireless. I'm assuming the 8-bit DOS stuff's built in because he's affiliated with that company too. Once again, not an insult or a compliment. That's just info. Uh, System-level visual effects can, be, effects can be disabled on a menu level if users would like, particularly the N64's infamous anti-aliasing glaze. He really should have read Robert's post about N64 before 
answering that way. There's a lot more to it than that. But anyway, um, it'll run N64 games at their native speeds. So you do get the original performance, but there will be toggles for overclocking, running smoother, eliminating native frame dips and stuff like that, which is very cool. That props to the team who's designing that. It'll ship with the four meg expansion pack on by default, but you could just turn that off in the menu. It'll support the same firmware update process as prior analog systems via a micro SD port. Tabor also suggests that some new methods of updating will be announced at a later date. So that's Tabor saying that analog definitely doesn't release jailbreaks for their products, even though they're closed source and they're the only ones who could ever release a jailbreak like this. So expect to run ROMs on it via the micro SD card, just like all their other consoles. Um, and uh, here's my favorite. Uh, one of my favorites. The uh, Tabor says the analog 3D will only support pure N64 and the original legacy ecosystem surrounding it. Nothing else. Um, okay, so it, that is a weird way of saying it's not going to include any fork of open FPGA. I don't know. I go back to what I said in the beginning if you're upset about that. So uh, Sam then went on to say some readers will come to report this with a sour taste in their mouth. Yeah, Sam did a great job. Um, it's it's rare that somebody in any of these tech blogs will actually question anything Chris Tabor says, because uh, I get it, right? You know, it's it's all it's all quantity these days, clickbait and quantity. Chris puts out absolutely beautiful press releases. Never sent me one. Clearly, <laughs> would not send them to somebody. I, I bet you Sam's never getting another press release either after having an honest interview with him. But yeah, I mean, I couldn't think of, uh, I didn't want to talk for over 10 minutes about this, but it's just, whenever you talk about analog, you can't just talk about their hardware. You have to clarify the things, uh, Mr. I wish I was Steve Jobs was trying to do with this. I don't know. I know I'm being insulting. I'm a lot, of, I turn a lot of people off from this when I talk this way, but holy crap, what a, what a giant F you to everybody who's worked on open source FPGA cores including the ones that work on their own product, the open FPGA. So yeah, I think that guy should go back to not giving interviews ever and uh, just letting their team do the awesome work that they do and sell products that are always, in my strong opinion, worth the money to buy. So let's hope this one's a decent price. And, uh, you know, maybe let's just hope Tabor does more interviews because I th found it kind of funny. I won't do a deep dive into any of the, anything that comes in here, uh, anything past this one, but that's just hilarious. That's like some, some real housewives or retro gaming shit right there. Now it's time for this week's high price. Do it yourself. FPGA updates. Thank you, Chris Tabor. I'm a highly limited Chris Tabor is just giving us gold here. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates Care from Lou. I, I, I can't. Let me give me a minute. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates Care of Lou from Lou's Retrosource. As usual, I'm going to skim through everything that Lou wrote and I'm going to add my thoughts where necessary. But if you want any details or visual examples of what we're talking about, please go back to Lou's video and check that out. Uh, first up, there's a wiki page that documents the results of various emulators and hardware emulation using test ROMs for the Game Boy Advance, and included are test results for the Mister. So if you're interested in these and how well the Mister performs, please check that out, because I always love highlighting awesome work. Next up, Robert posted even more updates to the N64 core, and the new changes include more accurate controller handling, uh, fixed grain effects in Star Fox 64, and some more bug fixes. I tried out the core myself for the first time the other day and was really, really impressed, so just well done. 
Next up, Wizzo's NFC script now has a new front end that could write NFC tags straight from the mister. It also added updates for custom commands, managing map <laughs> mappings, and support for Lego Dimensions tags. So all that's very neat. Now, the big one, you could just run update all and get the Sega Saturn core. It is definitely stable enough for, it's still beta, but it's definitely stable enough for use. If you have dual RAM, <coughs> RAM it'll run better. Sorry, I'm still sick months later. Can't, can't shake this cough. Um, but it absolutely does work on single RAM misters. I tried it out myself. I played OutRun, because uh, of course, why not? Even though Hotego already did the awesome core for it, I just kind of wanted to check that out. That worked great, and it's very, very exciting to be able to play the Sega Saturn on the mister now. Uh, SRG320 obviously did a, a brilliant job on this, the 32X core, and, and so many others. Uh, I just, congratulations and a, a thumbs up, and please, please consider supporting on Patreon, because that's how we get these awesome updates by supporting these devs. So thank you very much, SRG320. I really appreciate it. And there's more info on the Mars project on the Pixel Cherry Ninja website uh, or YouTube site, but I'm still going to be doing uh, an interview deep dive with the developers, and I hope to get that out as soon as I possibly can. But once again, I don't. I just don't think there's that much of a rush, and I certainly don't want to rush it out to be like, well you know, analogs to this. So we not no. It's just, it's not out yet. It's not open for pre-order. It's so promising and awesome looking, but I want to get more details about it. So we'll follow up with that as soon as I can. Retro USB's AVS console is now back in stock and ready to ship. These are the FPGA-based NES consoles that accept both NES and Famicom cartridges and output 720p HDMI. These perform very well. Uh, the price is $209 plus shipping, which is barely more than it, it was before. So even through all of the price hikes, um, this stayed affordable. And I think it's just a great console. I did a review of it when it first came out seven years ago, and it's basically the same other than my reviews hopefully have gotten better since then, but it still shows you everything you need to know. It performs well. It looks good. Um, well, I guess that's subjective. I think it looks good, but uh, overall, I just, uh, you know, I sing it praise all the time. I only just have one complaint and I don't mean to throw shade. I like the product. I like the creator, Brian. I just, uh, it's a complaint that has probably resulted in a ton of loss of sales. So I just, I hope Brian listens and it's probably too late anyway, but this only outputs 720p. If it could output 240p or 480p, which from a technical point of view, no doubt that it can, it would open up a large window of stuff. First, the easy one, if you had a VGA CRT monitor, you could just simply plug this in with a cheap DAC, something for 10 bucks, and beautiful, now you have a CRT experience. But what would be really important is 240p. It would be one of those super resolution 1280 by 240 resolution outputs, which this chip could obviously handle because it also does 1280 by 720. And then you could either combine it with an HDMI to component DAC or a VGA, HDMI to VGA DAC, and then the HD15 to SCART to get RGB SCART. So think about everybody who is buying NESs and NES RGBs. Even if you already owned your NES, the price of an NES RGB and the cost to have somebody install it was about the price of this console plus what it would have cost to buy a $10 DAC and an adapter. So throughout the years, Brian probably could have taken a large chunk of those sales. Now, I liked him a lot. That's not a throw in shade. I'm just saying from a business perspective, 
having it only output 720p alienated the entire CRT market, which is not as high as the flat panel market. That's pretty massive. And even today, right, if you really want to use original cartridges, there's a couple of different options, you know, from original all of the different models, original consoles to those terrible clone consoles to the very good analog NT. Um, you know, I still don't like that you have to pay for a block of aluminum, but it was it performed great. Um, or do you do you just get this one now? And it's it's kind of sad because I really would have liked to have seen what else this thing could have done. And I would have loved to have seen Brian make more money selling it to people who wanted to connect it to CRTs. So um, if anybody out there knows Brian, he's not very, he's not the best at answering emails, which, you know, it's not an insult. It is what it is, right? I'm not the best at staying away from a cookie. He's not the best at answering emails. That's life. Reach out. I'm positive somebody who works in FPGAs would be able to offer to help add a super resolution mode. It's technically possible. It's no harder than doing all of the incredibly hard work Brian already did. So maybe reach out and see because another firmware update with that would absolutely be another boost. And I'm sure people... I'm sure other YouTube channels would want to do a video on that as well, especially people who have never done a video on this and it's back in stock now. So it's not something, it's not like you're doing a video on something you can't get. So nothing but love to say about this. I just, it's been my job for almost 20 years now, just over 10 with retro RGB. And since 2006 with the other company, I started doing development work. It's basically my job to be the middleman. I talk to devs all day long and I listen to you all day long on what you want, the things you're buying, the things you're missing. So it's always my job to take a product, see what it does, and see what else it could do. So that insults some people. Some people interpret that as you can't just be happy with it as, as it is. If that's how you like to live your life, that's fine. But I just, I see a product that I like, and I just see what else it could be or could have been. Maybe it's too late. I don't know. But nothing but positive things to say. I just really hope there's a firmware update soon that adds at the very least 240p output. Even if he skips 480p, that's fine. Much less people are going to be using a PC CRT monitor. But I just think it would be so cool to hook this right up to any consumer CRT with component inputs. And then maybe we could maybe we could even work on an HDMI to component or a composite adapter that doesn't add lag. This would certainly be an excuse to it. And Brian wouldn't have to do anything other than enable the mode. We'll take care of the the weird product accessories on our end. Our end meaning all of us amazing people who make crap in the retro gaming scene. So yeah, I didn't mean to rant about that one. I really meant this to be mostly positive. I just am sad that this probably could have sold a hell of a lot more and saved people a lot of effort, especially people who like to keep their consoles as stock as possible. You know, I would, I have right now a completely stock NES that Jose recapped for me that other than the recap, I'm never touching again. I just love that it's all original. It's a good revision motherboard, clean and nice looking composite video output. That's going to be my original NES from now on. But if I wanted original cartridges on a PVM, I would love to have, gone over to this. So sorry, Brian, I hope you're not mad at me. I had nothing but love for you, my friend. I just would love to see this added. Okay, finally, I'm able to get you some info on the Mars project. I've been talking to the team for a while, but as I was writing this post, I wanted them to confirm and make sure that I was getting the correct info out to people. I didn't want to set wrong expectations, and uh, I even found in talking to them a couple of mistakes in my post, so I'm, I'm glad I waited. But I was able to get this written right before I was done wrapping up the podcast. So I think even in Lou's section, I said something like, I'll have Mars info soon. Well, 
Here it is. I thought I was going to have to wait till next week, but I want to give you a full breakdown of what the Mars project is aiming to be. Um, the people who are working on it are pretty far along already. The release should be fairly soon, but let's walk through what to like, let's set your expectations. Um, so first of all, Mars is a piece of hardware that's similar to a small console or set top box. So it's not science project looking like Mr. Stuff is because once again, I'm not throwing shade. That's what they had to make it look like when you're using the DE 10. But the difference is that this is running on hardware that they designed specifically for Mars. So that's why it can look like a set-top gaming box, because that's what they designed it to look like. Um, the price point is going to be about 700 bucks, uh, and the release date is probably going to be early 2024. Who knows? Maybe it'll squeak in a little earlier, but realistically, we're talking first quarter 2024. Now, the $700 will get you everything. So if you're the type of person who bought a DE10 Nano, a RAM stick, and a USB hub, then this is going to seem very expensive to you. And rightfully so. That's totally fair. However, if you bought a fully loaded system with everything in it, it's about that price anyway. And to be clear, the $700 will get you everything you need inside an injection-molded case, with no other hardware required other than whatever controller that you choose to use. There's no controllers going to be coming with it, I'm pretty sure. And I think that's a good idea. Would you rather have some low-quality controller bundled in that you're not going to use anyway? Do you want to spend extra on a fancy, expensive controller you might not even want? So I think that's the smart move. Um, so if you think about all of that, everything that you need is right there for that price. Um, there's going to be no paywalls or upgrades for any kind of features or cores. It's just you pay for this one piece of hardware, and that's all. That's what you get with it. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about what the it's, it's in there in a bit. So let's just kind of keep going through it. Inside, it's got a very powerful FPGA that can do a lot more than the DE10 can do as well as an ARM64 CPU. And that should allow for more FPGA cores than the Mr. can support. Plus, there's potential for using that ARM64 core for maybe some software emulation or something else. Now, <clears throat> for my personal preference, I would love to see MAME running on the ARM64 chip, even if it doesn't run that well, just because there's a ton of neat arcade games out there that maybe are in progress for FPGA, but at least you could still kind of mess around with it now. Maybe arcade one-up style. Let's have some fun with it, don't take it seriously, and then get to your hardcore gaming when the cores are over to the FPGA side. Um, there's also the potential for hybrid emulation, but while that term's thrown around, it's probably not what most people are thinking. The Mars team is picturing hybrid emulation as something like Mortal Kombat 2. The entire arcade board runs would be running in FPGA. However, the DSP audio chip might be emulated in software on the ARM side of things. So that's where they were talking about software or hybrid emulation, not stuff like running a PlayStation software emulator or something like that, like actual integrated into the FPGA stuff, which I think actually, <coughs> excuse me, opens up a, a world of possibilities. So that's pretty cool. The other thing I'd like to see the ARM chip doing, and this is just my selfishness, but I would love to see it running something like Kodi. Because imagine having one box that's all of your gaming, but you could also watch movies on it, whether it's on a flat panel or even on a CRT. And that brings me to the outputs. 
Mars will have HDMI output up to 4K as well as RGB via a D-sub connector, kind of like all the other Mr. Analog DAC stuff. So you should be able to get all of the analog formats from the D-sub, RGB SCART um, with a, a cable like the HD15 to SCART, component video, VGA, and it's looking like uh, if Mike Simone is willing to help out, they could also get composite and S-video the same way that the Mr. does now, but potentially built right into the VGA port. So you might not need any of the extra adapters on the outside. That's still kind of in progress though, so composite and S-video support is still a bit up in the air, uh, but I think this is a great start. Now, JAMA will also be supported, and it also is included. You do not need to buy anything else unless you want to buy like a JAMA extension harness, but you know, that's separate. You just need to pop the side plastic of the case off, think something like a Sega CD, and that will expose an adapter that the JAMA will plug into. And this comes with it for the price. So if you're the type of person that only games for HDMI, you might be thinking like, well, 700 bucks, I could have saved some money and not had those analog ports fair but if you're somebody that says i use all of those things and oh by the way you could use jama rgb and hdmi all simultaneously that seems like now that 700 dollars is a way bigger value it's still expensive so you know you feel free to look at it however that you'd like as far as ins and outs it'll also have midi in and out ports as well as gigabit ethernet bluetooth and a bunch of usb ports It'll support USB controllers, as well as controller modules that snap into the front. And these controller modules work similar to Snack in that they allow for non-multiplexed direct access to the FPGA pins. So basically that means when you snap these things in place and you plug your controllers in, it's zero latency, including light gun support if you're using a CRT. Obviously, this doesn't magically make light guns work on a flat panel, but that's pretty cool. Um... Now, unlike Mr. Snack Adapters, there is full planned support for control of the menus. The team hasn't gotten to it yet, but that, compared to the other stuff that they were doing, doesn't really seem like it would be that big of a challenge. They just didn't want to guarantee... They don't. They want to set people's expectations straight. They don't want to say, yes, launch day there will be, unless they know that it will be. But I think that's an important feature that I hope that they do aim to get for launch date, because while the Mr. had to deal with the limitations of the DE10's chip... that uh, Sorry, let me rephrase that. Of the pins that were available on the DE10's FPGA chip, and I think that they brilliantly got around that by using Snack... The issue with that is you don't have full access, so you can't do things like control the menus through the snack ports. So that's not like, that's not throwing shade. It's just, it's back to the DE10 as a dev board meant to do many things. And the Mr. Team very brilliantly shoehorned it to do the things that we want it to do. So since Mars is designed for us, by us, then that's why there's potential to very easily add that support. So no more having a wireless USB keyboard mouse combo while you're also trying to use your snack adapter. That should also, uh, this these adapters, these controller uh, snap-in adapters should be able to handle all of that stuff. So I think from um, a user point of view, it just feels more like a console. From a, a dev point of view, I imagine many of my dev friends are like, it's the same thing, what's the difference? That's fair. Both are fair. But I like it when it feels like you're actually using a console. So that's kind of a big, big step up. Um, and the other thing, Mars will be completely open source. 
and operate similar to Mr. So the main Mars devs will release all of their code, but contributors can operate the way they currently do, which means anybody who does things like they have a Patreon set up and beta cores are private, and then there's a public release where everybody could use them, which I, as a little sidebar here, I still wholeheartedly support that. There's a lot of people that don't, and they get upset about that, that's fine. We could agree to disagree, but I still really love that for two reasons. One, it's an incentive to support the developer that's giving you exactly what you want. But from the dev's point of view, they don't have to support a bunch of people who don't realize it's beta. So even now with the Saturn core out, I have a couple of friends messaging me like, hey, do you know SRG320? Can you let them know that this is broken? No, it's in beta. Go go post your beta reports. So I completely support that, and so does Mars. They will completely support devs that want to continue doing that, as long as the end goal is a public release and shared open source. Now, the only thing that the Mars team is not open sourcing is the hardware design, but Terrasic doesn't open source the DE10, so I personally think that's completely and totally fair. Uh, and I do also want to politely remind everybody that the Bitfunks of the world would just, if there was an open source design for this, make really low quality, crappy versions and try to undercut the team the day it's released. So uh, I also stand by the Mars team's decision to not open source it. Although I am positive they have something planned, like in X amount of years or when Mars 2 comes out or whatever else, I'm sure the files will eventually be out there, but not now. And I, I would do exactly the same if I was in their shoes. Um, so, you know, their social media posts where it, it caused a bunch of uh, a bunch of uproar because they were talking about the potential for a lot to be possible, things like Dreamcast, Polygame Master, 3DO, and Jaguar, and those are ones that you know either can't run on the DE10 or probably couldn't run on the DE10, uh, or you might need dual RAM or a whole bunch of other stuff. So, funny enough, though, those are all plausible on this hardware. I'm not sure if there will be launch day releases of those cores, although it would be pretty awesome if there were, but it's absolutely plausible that they're doing that. And I also want to just once again reiterate the fact that this hybrid emulation thing is not talking about Dreamcast on the ARM chip. They're really looking to implement that in FPGA. However, like my MK2 example, there might be some part of Dreamcast that's running on software that's not really going to affect latency. So I... I'm, I am very excited for all of this, in case you can't tell. Now, with respect to the team, with respect to everybody involved in the project, um, there's still you still have to show it before we could really make our final decision. And that is not throwing shade, that is life. Um, you know, they've already started to show renders of the hardware. Uh, they also have been announcing people who will be contributing to the project, including Wizzo, who did an absolutely awesome GUI for this thing. Uh, that was a really cool reveal that, you know, if you've been using Emulation Station on a Pi, I imagine you're like, yeah, it's a GUI, I have one of those. But if you're a hardcore Mr. fan, seeing that is, you know, that definitely will put a smile on most people's faces. So, my current perspective on this is I am supporting them equally as hard as I support everybody in Mr. I want to see this succeed, just like I want to continue to see Mr. succeed. Um, but it's really up to them to deliver. Um, is this going to be a Coleco Chameleon? Is there just a capture card in that Mars render with nothing in it? There isn't, by the way. But point, you know, is it going to be like the Polymega? with a bunch of promises and a bunch of modules and some pre-orders, but never a console to use. Or by the time the console comes out, it's outdated and there's a new FPGA chip. It's up to the Mars team. But I got to say, after talking to them, uh, you know, after 
really seeing the passion they're putting into this and what they've already done, I don't think it's going to be either of those things. I think it's going to be a very real project. And I think their promises of launching at the very least on launch day with all the Mr. Cores and maybe one or two ones that couldn't run on Mr. I think that's very plausible. And I think as you see them announce more people who are going to be contributing, you could kind of put two and two together and see which contributor is probably going to be working on which piece of the project to make all of this stuff happen. So um, I think... I think it's going to work out just fine, uh, but I just always want to be blunt and honest about this stuff because I just don't want, I don't want to set wrong expectations. So they've done everything right so far. They've shown everything that I needed to see to show that the product is real and coming out, but now they just have to finish and get it out there. And I, I really hope they do. And once again, just to draw my very thick line in the sand here, Mars seems like it's going to be awesome. I'm still going to love Mr. And I still respect the analog consoles for what they are, the consoles and, and the, the devs that work on them for what they are, because I absolutely think that has a place as well, including open FPGA on the pocket. Uh, so uh, there's no taking sides for me. I like all of them and there's no reason to take sides. There's so many great projects that depending on your needs, you might buy one of each for whatever, you know, you might buy a pocket for, um, for on the go gaming. You might buy a Mr. for one thing and you might buy the Mars for the other. You never know. If you're a hardcore gamer, that's certainly cheaper than buying, you know, every arcade board or doubles of arcade boards to travel with uh, when you go to events and stuff. So I think there's plenty of room for all of these projects and I'm really happy that they're out there and I'm really happy that Mars and Mr. are still really open, open source focused because that's really what's going to have these live on longer than even the people who created them. So hopefully that was a good overview and intro to what Mars is aiming to be. Um, if you have any questions, I plan on doing an interview with at least one or two of the team members in the near future, certainly before the end of the year. So just let me know if there's specific questions you want asked. Uh, I saw a lot of devs asking very deep and technical questions. Um, I could try, but I'm probably not the person for that. Uh, most of these people are smarter than me, but I could certainly keep up. So uh, any questions you have, any concerns you have, fire away in the comments. I'll keep a note of any question that's worth answering. Uh, you know, no offense. There's always some trolls when it comes to stuff like this, but, uh, and then we'll try to go over everything in the interview and maybe we'll get to see a demo of this thing on the sooner side. I hope. So uh, let me know if you, let me know what you think. Last week, I did a live stream with JB, the creator of the Gun 4 IR project. And this was something that I really wanted to take the time to do an overview here, both because I think it's a product worth knowing about, but also I don't ever want to tell somebody to sit through a two hour and 20 minute live stream where I make 40 minutes worth of mistakes, <laughs> unless you're building one from scratch and then let me save you the time by watching with the mistakes that I made. But anyway, I'd like to give a full overview of what the project's all about and my current thoughts on it, both hardware and software, because I'm a big fan of light gun games and it's obviously getting harder and harder to either use them on flat panels or even use them at all. Because even if you have CRTs with all original hardware, light guns are not aging very well. And it's very, very common to buy a couple of light guns and only have one or two actually work, even with all of the right hardware and stuff connected to it. So here's the full overview. The Gun for IR project is currently a do-it-yourself solution. I was able to borrow a hand-built kit from Ray at RPEG Electronics. Um, Ray's kits are very expensive, but they're hand-built. So, uh, you know, this isn't 
a production line thing. This is something Ray spends a lot of time on. You could absolutely just build your own if you're on a budget and you have the time. And they're based off of GunCon 1 or 2. So you'd have to get one of those, gut it, and replace it with these guts. I'm pretty sure there's not much cutting involved or even any cutting, but you definitely have to strip the insides out in order to fill it with the stuff that JB is using. But basically, you have a modified gun that now has a USB port and power if you want to add recoil and stuff like that as well. And then you have IR sensors and four different points of your monitor. Now, you're going to want to do a solid installation of those because that will absolutely affect accuracy. Now, since I was borrowing this kit, I used painter's tape to hold the LEDs in place, which did cause problems at some point. But if you were going to be installing this, you'd probably use some really good double-sided tape to affix it to the back of your panel. Then you'd bend the LEDs around so only the LEDs are visible on the front, so it's not uglying up a beautiful OLED monitor or anything. And you're definitely going to want to make sure they're aligned. So the same distance, you know... It as close to dead center as possible on both the sides and top and bottom. And then you either use the Mr. or the gun for IR software in order to calibrate it or make any changes to the gun or anything like that. And then the accuracy and speed are absolutely amazing. So the accuracy when calibrated uh, was dead on. It was very cool to see that. And also the speed was impressive. There was even one PlayStation game that we tried that in their light gun calibration menu, there was a cursor on screen for the game. And when I turned on the Mr.'s cursor and moved the gun around, the Mr.'s cursor was updating faster than the game's cursor, really proving that JB put a ton of work into reducing the latency to almost nothing. And JB seems to be just as much of a just as annoyed about latency as I am. So I kind of knew going into this, there wasn't going to be a latency issue, but hardware performance for this kit was absolutely amazing. I still haven't tested the Sinden light gun. I don't know why. I'm sorry. I'll get to that soon. But out of all the other solutions I've tried, this was definitely top tier. And I did use it on a CRT because I wanted to do apples to apples comparisons with the original hardware. And it basically passed except the workflow. That was the only thing I kind of had a bunch of complaints about. That and any of the mistakes that I made, of course. But as far as actual workflow use... Um, but before I get into that, I just I have to politely remind everybody that the Mr. Contributors have already brought it very far to being more usable and easier to figure out. And a lot of work goes into this stuff. And it's always a balance between how much code are we going to put in for one project that only a fraction of the mystery users is going to be versus the other side where JB puts thousands of hours into this project to get it basically perfect. Why can't you just take all my code and make it easier for people? So I did have some complaints in that you have to recalibrate the gun in every core. You have to set up the controls. What if it's a, a core where the gun goes in player two? What if it's one of those games where you have to have a, gun, a controller plugged into port one and the gun plugged into port two or something like that? And there is certainly potential for this to be all automated. And it was eventually able to be pulled off using just, you know, doing everything set up manually inside the mister. But it, it definitely was frustrating at points. Um, you know, this is one of those things where it is what it is, right? If you really just want to use all original stuff, it, you know, if you got an analog Super NT and a DAC, you could plug your Super Scope or Justifier into it, plug it into a CRT, and it works just like the original. But that's not the point of this. The point of this is to be able to work on any display with brand new hardware so you're not relying on the old stuff. So I do hope that um, that there's more 
fluid integration into Mister because there's no really there's no real reason that you shouldn't be able to plug one of these in, then power off power on your Mister from off so it only detects the gun for IR, and then Mister is going to say, okay, well the buttons and D pad on this are always going to be mapped to where they need to be per core. So on NES, it would be that that stuff's player one and the gun trigger itself is player two and, you know, vice versa for different cores and stuff like that. Or, you know, you load up um, certain cores that require different kind of uh, kinds of setup and calibration. It should all work based on just being able to plug it in. But, you know, what's really, you know, at what cost? Can this just be added? Could it be added via a script? Uh, maybe a script that JB would work on so that the Mr. Team doesn't have to really deal with this and you don't have to worry about, you know, this code that you're not using messing up something else because for a product you don't own. Maybe there's a happy medium. Luckily, Shane Lynch, one of the uh, FPGA dev and Mr. Collaborator was in the chat helping us out with this stuff, gave me some insight into how some of these light gun games work and I talked with him afterwards a bit. So it is kind of cool to see, but I just wanted to add a lot of perspective on this because it's it would be so easy for me to say go watch the live stream which most wouldn't sit through a two hour 20 minute stream it would be easy for me to be like oh the hardware is good but you know the mr software is annoying but none of that's fair the mr team's done an amazing job making this stuff work at all the the jb's software is awesome this is really a ton of positivity but we're like 90 percent there so I wanted to give everybody a full summary and overview. I wanted to keep it under 10 minutes uh, so you don't have to sit through hours long stuff. But the only thing I would suggest is if you're really into this project, skim through the live stream and look at things like how accurate Duck Hunt was and at the very beginning and how accurate Time Crisis was at the end, because that should really show you how how well this thing performs and hopefully we'll figure out a way to make this all a little bit easier and the only other thing to note is the price once more this is a hand-built kit and made by somebody who's trying to make a profit off of it so they're very expensive but this is not a ripoff at some point i really hope jb is going to look into having these made from scratch so you could get them at a fraction of the price and it'd just be a little bit more plug and play but absolutely zero shade thrown towards ray for uh for selling it at this price point i know how much work goes into this they came pre-calibrated uh i mean all of the real hard work was completely done by ray uh, and thanks again for letting me borrow it i already shipped it back and everything so i just wanted to be honest about all of that stuff because there's a total difference between things that are expensive and ripoffs like Eon. Uh, and I just wanted to always draw the line. And it's totally fine if you're like, I'm never paying that amount of money for a light gun. Cool. Then you have the option to either make your own through the do-it-yourself kit or maybe wait until JB comes out with a product that you could just buy off the shelf. But I always like to be incredibly clear about the difference between expensive and ripoff. So if you want to buy one pre-made and you got a, a bigger budget for this, definitely look into what Ray is selling. And if not, just make your own. You know, have some patience. Do all the stuff. It'll it'll take a while, but you can get it for a fraction of the price, and performance should be the same as long as you follow all the uh, instructions. So links to everything are right in the YouTube video. And once again, you know, feel free to not watch this live stream unless you're really into it. But if you're building your own or you're super interested in how this works, um, the mistakes I made will help you not make the same ones. And when it works well, you get to see 
really firsthand how good this kit actually is. So thanks to JB, thanks to Ray, and thanks to all of you for sitting through this long description. I just think this mini review here is probably going to be better for most people than an hour's long live stream. Well, I guess I was kind of wordy this week, huh? I always say these podcasts are as long as I feel that they need to be. Sometimes they're 15 minutes long and sometimes they're eight hours long because I can't shut up. But I just, I feel like it is my, you know, it's a weight on my shoulders to present things in a way where you can make your own decisions, where you definitely know where I stand on something, but you get all the perspectives and you get all the technical info that you need for this stuff. So when I ramble, which I really try not to, but I do every week, um, I do feel like I'm always having your time and the respect for your time in the back of my mind when I do so. So, uh, and that's also why I never miss putting the timestamps in. Because if I'm talking a little bit too long on something that you're really interested in, you probably won't mind. But if I talk too long on something you couldn't care less about, then I don't want you to feel like, oh, I got to sit through this again. Just open up your phone or your web browser and click on the next thing and that's it. So, you know, as always, I take your feedback seriously. Any any remotely polite feedback I take seriously. So if you want less of the longer stuff or more, let me know. Every time I ask this question, most people are like, just keep doing what you're doing. You're, you're doing fine. And if I don't like it, I'll skip to the next one, which is what I want to hear. Because, you know, not all this stuff's going to be for everybody. But as always, thank you to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments. And especially thank you to people who support in any way possible because without you none of this stuff would happen and it's you know as much as i appreciate everybody in the scene the people who support this channel even people who just you know like subscribe repost and all that stuff it's you who i really always feel indebted to and try to get these right for you so if you want less rambling let me know if you want more deep dives i could do more side podcasts on this stuff but uh, i'm trying my best and i just appreciate that you all are here with me <laughs>